So, what did you have for lunch today there, Amala? Oh, I actually went and got Chick-fil-A. It wasn't oh my even... gosh, you racist, bigot, homophobe. Oh, wait, what do you mean? Only homophobes eat that chicken. What are you talking I about? I can't believe you are willing to support this madness. Let me. What are you going to tell me next? That you got your Halloween decorations at Hobby Lobby? I did. Is there a problem with that? I, I don't understand. I am so triggered right now. Do you not research the personal and privately held views of the owners of every co company that you patronize and make sure that you don't have any political disagreements with them? No. Chick-fil-A in particular has really good chicken and Hobby Lobby has really good Halloween decorations. So People like you are a part of the problem. <laughs> And scene. <laughs> Guys, we're going to get into a story surrounding those two companies in particular off of a trending tweet that just continuously went viral today is still still on the rise. But before that, we have a check in with the one, the only Will Witt. Let's get into it. Okay, guys, you know him, you love him, you miss him. Will Witt is talking to us from Colorado on his book tour. And we have an exciting story because Will had a hit piece published about him. Will, has this ever happened to you before? Yes, I've had multiple hit pieces done about Will Witt, but this one is kind of... Uh, I Well, let's get into it and we can talk about it. Let's show it on the screen. You can show people. Yeah, I was going to ask. I was going to ask if this one is special. This one is <laughs> so special. So this is in... Okay, good, good, good. This one's in the Daily Mississippian. Let's get the title here. The title is Will Witt and Others Like Him Add Nothing to This Campus. This is written by Catherine Broden. Now, the first, let's get into the first paragraph here. Last week, I had the unfortunate experience of falling down a PragerU rabbit hole. So unfortunate. That is unfortunate. For those of you lucky enough to be ignorant of PragerU, it is a conservative media institution whose content ranges from talk radio to child's cartoons. My spiral occurred after I saw an advertisement in the library for an upcoming campus event with a conservative influencer previously unknown to me, Will Witt. Wow, Will, she didn't know you. That's all right. I, I, am, I am not hurt or devastated by the fact that this person did not know me. That is all right. <laughs> okay. She says several hours of doom scrolling followed. Will Witt is a run-of-the-mill conservative influencer armed with a microphone and a camera crew. He preys on unsuspecting college students, aiming to humiliate them for an audience lusting for social justice warrior gets wrecked content. <laughs> he himself is not worth much discussion. I love that, too. This is actually it's pretty well written. I'm going to go ahead and say out of the gate. Uh, grammatically, very well done. Uh, vocabulary, very well done. Uh, but anyways, like other similar influencers, Witt shifts the factual landscape when he can't win and exemplifies the growing hypocrisy of the American right. He uses sound bites and buzzwords familiar to those of us who grew up in Fox News households to spark outrage. Nothing about him is new, nor is it honest. Wow. This person does not sound bitter at all <laughs> about their conservative upbringing. Someone woke up on the wrong side of the bed this morning. I will say something honest if she would like. This article is complete garbage. We can say that. That's maybe if I'm going to start being honest, I'll say that. And that'll be my first honest thing that I've done. I, 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 I don't like, here's the thing. I don't care if people write hit piece articles on me and the things that I do. That's, that's par for the course is, is what I do. But I, I would appreciate if she would give any sort of example, you know, any sort of example of something I said that is this uh, dishonesty or something that is disproving what something that I've said, but there is none of that. I mean, th there is no, not one example of, uh, of me saying something factually incorrect that is in this article. 
at all. That is always how it goes. They, it's just like that guy that you met on campus who said, you know, he hated PragerU and they're full of misinformation and you asked for one example and he couldn't give it to you. So, I mean, it seems to be standard. Although PragerU's swarm of online activists portray themselves as irreverent and fringe, they are anything but. PragerU itself operates under the annual budget of $23 million and receives the majority of its funding from such faithful supporters of the ultra-wealthy conservative establishment as the Koch brothers and Ferris Wilkes. The Irish of talking heads like wit decrying the elitist hedge money of the left while functioning as a megaphone for some of the country's wealthiest citizens is laughable. The hypocrisy in the underlying themes of this and related content is even more stark. Throughout Will Mr. Wit's content, he decries the victim mentality of the American left. A quick glance at his PragerU biography, though, reveals that he dropped out of the University of Colorado Boulder because of the constant indoctrination he experienced while there. These influencers paint everyone on the left as naive and childlike while abhorring anything they disagree with as an attack on their personhood. They are so steeped in the propaganda machine they operate that they cannot recognize their own inability to cope with criticism. Wow. This girl is making me blush. I mean, I, it's it, it's making my getting me butterflies in my stomach. You know, she's got a big crush on me. I can tell. It's very sweet of her to say all these things. Yeah, I think next time you visit, you got to meet Catherine. I would love to. I, I don't think she came to the event. I think that's what pretty indicative of the left and saying all these horrible things about me, and then not actually coming and and attending the talk and hearing what I had to say. Because even in my talk, I mean, I call out I call out Republicans, I call out conservatives, I talk about the lies that those types of people do at the same time, not just the people on the left. And I, I wish that she would have come to experience that. But yesterday at my event at University of Missouri, Kansas City, I had a guy who looked like someone you would expect come up to the podium during the Q&A. And he started asking me these questions about hypocrisy and my hypocrisy. And I'm like, I wish that a leftist could come to one of my events and actually ask good questions. You know, I would love a challenge. I would love someone to come and actually challenge me on the things that I believe in and say, well, well, these stats actually don't line up with this. But I'm like, no, all these people just come up with the same stale leftist talking points. The guy comes up and he's like, you're talking about Nietzsche in your speech and you said you're baptized. But, you know, Nietzsche said that that Christianity is bad. Isn't that doesn't that make you a hypocrite? I'm like, dude, are you serious? Like, you, I can't read something and enjoy it unless I 100% agree with it. Are you joking? It's like Thomas, oh, whatever. Anyway, and then he asks and he says the same thing about, he says the same thing about the Wilkes brothers. He's like, you were talking about Vox and BlackRock and them being owned. And then you're talking about, you know, but the Wilkes microphone. Oh, sorry. Sorry. It's rubbing against my face. And he's like the Wilkes yes. brothers, the Wilkes brothers funding PragerU and doing fracking videos. Like, isn't that the same thing? I was like, no. It's not the same thing because PragerU, yes, we have donors who will give us money and we will make certain videos, but we only make videos on things that we actually agree with. If a donor says, hey, we want to give you money to make a video about Thomas Jefferson or something, we're, we'll make a video if that lines up with what we believe in. But trust me, I mean, we have people coming to us all the time with money and saying, hey, we want you to make a video about this and we don't do it. You know, we do it because the, the videos that we make are about our values and the things we believe in. There's no hypocrisy there. We are we are pushing the values that we know are going to make America into a better country. And it, it really has nothing to do with, with the money in that sense. Sounds really dangerous and extremist to me. If you ask me and Catherine, I'd say. Well, just look at yourself, Amala. If I were to if I were to pick ten people out of a crowd, you would be the extremist. I would choose. 
Well, Catherine wrote one more paragraph. Let's react to this last paragraph in here. In the upcoming weeks, Wit will visit campuses like ours across America, no doubt hungry for students to indoctrinate. I'm sure he will engage in the same song and dance about the left's restriction of free speech and hatred of America. His ideas and words will not be his own, though. They will be values and ideals that advance the agenda of a much older, wealthier generation of conservatives. Those individuals smart enough to recognize that their message needed a new face to reach a new generation. Behind the tech-savvy and internet lingo leading conservative influencers of today lie the same entrenched institutions they rail against. That is what is most terrifying about Will Witt. He is unaware of the master he serves, though I may have a much smaller platform than Mr. Witt. I, too, have a message for my fellow students. Don't fall for it. I got to say it's well written. That's the only thing I'm going to give Catherine. It's not even well written. No, I mean, it's it's a college aged paper. I mean, it's not I don't want to come. Amala, the only reason why I'm coming and saying that it's not well written is because <laughs> you are saying that I'm not going to come and rail on this girl's grammar. Okay? She's some college kid. Right. But I'm only now right. saying it because you you brought that up, you know, let's because not, I said that is well written. <laughs> yeah, let's let's not give these people unfair credit. I'm not giving her any credit other than that it's grammatically correct. Obviously, all of it is BS, but it's well-written BS, which is what the left is good at. Well-written BS. That is true. I don't have a lot of thoughts on the like syntax and writing style itself. Uh I mean, there's no glaring errors or anything. So sure, we can give credit for that. But um, this this whole thing, just it's it's very like self-indulgent. I want to hear myself talk and take this down, uh, take down Will Witt and uh, publish this. It's like a self-congratulatory tone that is directed at people who already sort of agree with her to get pat on the back. It's the same tone you see in like the Vox, New York Times, Politico, all those articles where they're basically just preaching to the choir. It's the same tone you see on like uh, Stephen Colbert and all yep. of his comedy. It's like we're just here patting ourselves on the back, self-indulgent indulgently uh, making jokes, self-indulgently writing hit pieces against the people that we all uh, disagree with. But what we don't do is actually line out any of their uh, positions, argue with them, right. um, argue any topics on their merits, quote anything Will Witt has ever said that we disagree with exactly. and uh, address those things. And if if that was the, if they approach this, that's why this is not in good faith. Mm-mm. You know, if this was a good faith effort to critique Will Witt, then I think we could really have there would be much more interesting to me right um but that's not what this is they didn't take any of will's positions and say here's the position that prager you or will has here's how we disagree with it Mm -hmm. and defining our position in good faith and then giving a good faith uh, attempt at a rebuttal that that would be much more interesting but unfortunately this is just a hit piece yeah it is very unfortunate that she doesn't even cite one not even one single thing that you've ever said or done that she disagrees with not a single one this is all just slander (laughs) And I've said some pretty stupid things. I'm sure she could definitely find something. <laughs> you know? I can confirm that. That's true. Yeah. No. I, well. Yes. I'm well better than anyone. I, I. I think that like this. This dinky college article. Like we don't have to spend too much time on it because it's so, like you know whatever. It's some college paper writing a hit piece on me. But the the main point that I think is important to get across with this is that all of these people who have who have came to my events, protesters, uh, leftists who hate me, uh, uh, media personalities, people in in newspapers, all these people who have come to my events, I have given them every single opportunity to ask questions, to to come and speak with me, to to have a dialogue with me. I've gone up to every single leftist at my events that I have found and said, hey, like, what do you think about this? I've gone up to literally all of them that I could find and said, let's talk. And none of them will have a conversation with me. 
They will just say things like this. They will post on social media about how terrible I am, but none of them will actually come and have a conversation with me when I come and ask them to do it. And that is incredibly showing of, of how these people are. That's what it is. Yeah, because they know that their arguments are not going to stand, and that's why they get extremely defensive and they try to silence you. It reminds me of uh, when when Michael Knowles was doing a, a YAF Q and A, and these kids are standing in the back and they put duct tape over their mouths, talking about how they're silenced. And Michael's like, "Take the duct tape off. I will come and talk to all of you. Do you want to take the duct tape off?" And they all just stand there and they keep the duct tape on their mouth. He's so it's perfectly indicative. You are silencing yourself, and you're the one who doesn't want to have the debate. It's amazing. That's right. That's exactly right. I am, I am willing and able to debate all of you. I, I hope, this is for anyone, maybe you're a leftist, you can go, uh, you guys can put the description for my book tour in the link in the comments. Come to one of my stops. Ask me a question, okay? Ask me a question in front of everyone, and I will tackle whatever argument that you have and, and tell you the right answer or agree with you or whatever it is, you know, whatever. But come to one of my events and ask me a question. I am begging you to give me a challenge, okay? Because so far, you guys have been, you people on the left have been very subpar and, and no challenge whatsoever. So please, I am challenging you to do something. Well, yeah, that's that's the hit piece out of the Daily Mississippi. And you guys can go and look it up and read it for yourselves if you'd like, although I don't know why you would really want to do that. Uh, Will, do you have any other updates for everybody watching about your book tour? Anything else going on? Um, I, I miss Taylor. I miss Scott. <laughs> I miss you too, buddy. Wow. You miss Taylor and Scott. Amla, I miss you. Amla, you better listen up. I, I, I miss you. I'm, I'm listening. Thank I can't you, stop thinking about you. you. You know. Okay, good. Good. Just making sure. But um, I, I am in Colorado right now. Have a book tour stop tonight. Headed to Utah tomorrow. And then next week, got some more events. So click the link down below and check out the rest of my events. Get a ticket. It's free. You can come hear a speech for me. There's a Q&A. You can come and get a book signed. You can buy a book at all these events as well. And I'll sign it and take pictures, all that. It's, uh, it, it, they're phenomenal events. I've been having a great time on my tour. I'm exhausted. I'm running on like three hours of sleep every single night. But it's worth it. I love what I'm doing. And so happy for all of you guys who have come out to some of my events. I've met so many people. Also, I've met so many people on my tour who come and say like how much they love the show. It's amazing. It's amazing. Like, like I'll have a girl. Oh man, what, what was this girl's name? I forget her name. This was in Mississippi. <laughs> and she came up to me just like, just talking about, she's like, Hey, I loved your speech, but you know, I've heard you say a lot of those things before. I was like, what do you mean? She's like, well, she's like, well, I watch the show every single day. I was like, oh, all right, fine. Well, then you you understand my takes on all these things. But it's nice to have people come up and say, yeah, they watched the show and then also came to the events. Yeah, it is awesome when you meet people and they're like, oh, well, you're not on the show today and all this stuff. It's so cool. It's so weird, but it's so cool. I'm not used to it yet, but. You'll get used to it. You know, you'll get used to it. Yeah, guys, that totally happens to me all the time. It it's actually really does happen to you, Taylor. So stop. <laughs> one time. One time. It's it has happened to you. Anyways, Amala. Will. I, Wait, Amala. What? Do you miss me? I do miss you, Will. I do miss you. Aww. It's been, it is, it is difficult. It is difficult doing the show without, uh, without the gang together. So yes, for the record, everybody, I do miss Will Witt. How's that? That's all I, <laughs> please. Are you guys getting this? Are you recording this, please? I would like that as a, I like that as a sound uh, clip to post on my social media later. I'm shedding a tear over here. This is so <laughs> sweet. Taylor's crying. <laughs> 
Oh, <laughs> uh, anyways, guys, we're I'll be gonna, back soon, everyone. Yes, he will be back soon, and we'll we'll try to get him on the show as much as we possibly can while he's out on tour. Go see Will while he's out on his book tour. He's coming to a campus or a city near you, and at the very least, if you can't go meet him, buy his book, How to Win Friends and Influence Enemies. And yeah, Will, thank you for being on this early in the morning. Well, I guess it's not early for you. Yeah, thanks for coming on my show, guys. I appreciate it. Um, <laughs> You're welcome for coming to the studio early to record yeah, this. Yeah, we did come early to film this with you. So, And Amla's been running on three hours of sleep, too, but that's from <laughs> partying all night. Painting the party. streets It was of a LA birthday red. party. It was a birthday party, guys. Come on. <laughs> is that what they're calling it these days? It is justified. If it's a birthday party, it is very justified. <laughs> That's what they call going to the trap house these days, a birthday party. Oh, my goodness. Jail. Straight to jail. Anyways, bye, Will. Bye, bye guys. Oh, goodness. So, mu- so much ammunition for the, the Wamala shippers on, on this. I can't wait to see the fan cams that <laughs> oh, come out of that gosh. one. <laughs> oh, there's going to be a lot coming out of the that now. we're a-flying. Uh yeah, according to this live chat that I watch, uh, <laughs> apparently you guys you guys love love speculation. Now let's get to let's get to the uh, the opening of our show today, and that was our Hobby Lobby Chick Fil A uh, throwdown with Taylor. Now the reason that this happened is somebody put out what was the tweet, the original tweet, because now it's gone. Um, I mean, I, I linked to a, a new one that's basically the same thing. Here, I'll pull it up. It's like uh, the. This Chip Franklin one. Okay, I've got it. Someone, got it. someone basically issued a challenge: name a company that you will never support, and just generically. And then, of course, Twitter took that and just went nuts. And before you know it, Hobby Lobby and Chick Fil A were trending because Twitter is full of raging leftists who hate Hobby Lobby and Chick Fil A. Right, right. So. To the best of my recollection now, correct me if I'm wrong, I know with, with Chick-fil-A, obviously it was the, the the CEO of Chick-fil-A did not support gay marriage, and that was super, super controversial for Chick-fil-A. It sort of painted the entire company, all every single franchise restaurant, as homophobic chicken joints. Are we, are we going to boycott uh, 20, wait, 2012 Barack Obama I was just well? about to say that. I was like, are you guys going to go back and boycott Obama? Because he was anti-gay too but he did a little flip-flop on that one uh uh, yeah as soon as an election came along but yeah so that was the situation with chick-fil-a and then hobby lobby the ceo of hobby lobby was extremely pro-life and was anti-providing contraceptive care for employees and i believe that was the main controversy around hobby lobby and apparently this was years ago and apparently this is a controversy that has never been forgotten because hobby lobby and chick-fil-a remain two of the top companies responded to in this twitter thread that people refuse to support they're those privately held views of those uh company owners are still harming people to this day years later after they've made their donations to whatever organizations of the causes that they privately personally support. Right. They're still causing active harm so much so that we need to talk about it in 2021 and make it the number three trending topic on Twitter because everyone needs to know that these bigots exist. Yeah. I don't, I haven't heard of a single thing that Chick-fil-A or Hobby Lobby has done to actually tangibly affect people when it comes to these issues whatsoever. But you guys can go ahead and boycott them. I mean, more Chick-fil-A for us, but you're not boycotting them because Chick-fil-A has some of the highest sales in America as a fast food chain. So you guys are honestly, Taylor said, 
sent me this uh, this morning saying like, look at all the people who are putting Chick-fil-A in Hobby Lobby. And I responded, half of these people are probably tweeting Chick-fil-A while sitting in the Chick-fil-A line for breakfast because I know that they are. I know that they still eat at Chick-fil-A. This is lies. Bald face lies. And I mean, honestly, it's not like you like gay people aren't welcome in Chick-fil-A. They're more than happy to serve anybody that comes through their doors it's not like you in walk fact, in hobby lobby and it's like only straight marriage like that decor everywhere it's like right you know de- some might even say it's their pleasure to serve you yeah you do if, <laughs> yeah you're, my biggest gripe against chick-fil-a is they're too nice they're, they they make me feel bad because you walk in there and there's just you get such excellent service and they're so eager to serve you and like what fast food restaurants have people coming around offering you refills like it's just a it is a master class in amazing service. You just feel so good, but you almost feel guilty leaving it because you're like, wow, those people are just too too nice to me. Right. Have you ever seen those uh, Twitter threads where it's like somebody tweets out a video and it's like the Chick-fil-A, the Chick-fil-A guy ran my food out to my car while it was raining with no umbrella. And then people are responding like the Chick-fil-A guy gave my grandmother CPR. Exactly. <laughs> like, yeah. The Chick-fil-A guy saved my cat from a tree. <laughs> <laughs> that's like how Norris i know chick-fil-a jokes, but like chick-fil-a like, right you know, right just... that's how i know chick-fil-a but apparently it's homophobic chicken now some of the other responses are of course fox oann newsmax that's typical of course people on the left are not going to support them uh, my pillow got quite a few responses as did at&t and home depot now the home depot thing uh, is that with the whole Ben Shapiro buying the piece of wood from Home Depot? <laughs> no, I think that was just a self-owned like, okay. moment or whatever. But uh, no, I think the the Home Depot they just also have a conservative ownership. But here's here's the deal with all of these these things. Like, there's a huge asymmetry here when you think about it. Like, there are so many companies on that have woke boards, woke leadership who push, who are openly. Um, doing political activism on behalf of causes that they believe in and their woke causes. And mm-hmm. they often didn't like there are companies like Coca-Cola came out and Delta in whenever the um, abortion bill was passed in, in Georgia or the voter, the voter, the quote unquote voter suppression bill. And they came out and are doing political activism. Hobby Lobby and Chick-fil-A are not engaging in open brazen political activism. Right. They're not using their corporate platform to push their ideas on you. Yep. They're just making you a chicken sandwich and doing a great job. And then they happen to have, you know, views that are pretty much private. Yeah, that were private and then became public. Yeah, that you had to research to figure out. Yep. And like, I don't want to know what my barista's politics are. I just want a good cup of coffee. Yeah. You know, so as long as you don't push your views on me, I'm happy to patronize you without having to Google, you know, what the owner's think about certain causes you, like there should there's enough neutral ground yeah, for, you, for us to right. just conduct commerce in America there used to be but now I don't know what it is about the the vitriol of the leftist ideology that just is like no if we we know you're conservative Christian so we're going to go look back at every donation you've ever made and pick apart every little thing you've ever done and try to find some reason to be offended by it and then there's and it's such a it's the the, the fact that you know they haven't have made any public statements about any of this stuff in years and yet today it's such a big deal that they, that it trends number three on twitter because they hold grudges and it's crazy how long they hold them for i mean and and this sort of indoctrination that you're dealing with from chick-fil-a and hobby lobby is just their ceos having their own private views as taylor said not even anything public it's not like they run campaigns at their stores for this sort of stuff it's not like uh Chick-fil-A puts out an anti-gay marriage sandwich on, on Pride Month. Meanwhile, as conservatives, mm-hmm. we get to deal with trans burritos at, at Chick-fil-A, I mean, at uh, Chipotle, Chipotle yep. and 
Pride Month at, at Target. I don't know. <laughs> like yeah. you guys blatantly push your your agenda and, and your indoctrination. Think, that's why I think it's asymmetrical in that conservatives who uh, are turned off by the uh, political activism of co- corporations are justified in saying, you know what, we I don't want to patronize these businesses because they're actively pr- uh, persecuting my values yep. and throwing it in my face. So, yep. but. I don't think it's as ju- I think it's a, there's a big difference between that and you going on Google and researching the, the what uh, other owners are doing with with their donations or whatever like and going out of your way to research the privately held views of, of owners of companies um, to then castigate them and you try to mobilize a mob against them after the fact. I think there's a huge difference between those two two things. Yeah, because they don't want you to have personal beliefs. They want you to have their beliefs. And if you don't have their beliefs, they don't want you as a member of their society. And that's why their brands push their agendas actively and publicly. I mean, there's so many more examples of it. Ben and, ben and Jerry's doing their anti-Israeli, uh, even though Ben and Jerry are Jewish, but they sold their company. So now they, they their company is just a franchise of the left. Same thing with Nike. Wait, now, so are Ben and Jerry lib- libs though? They have to be right. I think they are. I think they are leftists or or liberals in some sense. But they sold their company to Unilever, so it really doesn't matter where they lie. Because now, so now, Ben and Jerry, <laughs> who, which I believe, yeah, they're actually they're both Jewish. Uh, now their company functions as anti-Israeli. I know. Propaganda. That's like they, they made a monster and it ate them. Or right. Something, right. That's know? exactly what happened. And Nike's doing the same. They're now starting to refuse to sell Nike in uh, in Israel to Israelis. So yeah, I saw that today. I think that might have been like a worth like a profit thing where mm-hmm. they, they're closing the third party stores and they're so that uh, only okay. their franchises. So are maybe not a statement. Greedy capitalists, but who knows? Right. Would, who knows? None, none of this would surprise me anymore. No, it doesn't. Not, not a single thing surprises me anymore. Now, let's get into some discussions that we should be having. Now, there was an article put out in unheard.com by Ayan Hirsi Ali. And if you don't know who Ayan Hirsi Ali is, go ahead and look her up, uh, purchase her books, listen to her video. She does have videos with PragerU. She became uh, famous, really, uh, at least in the uh, American scope of things, for speaking out against Islam, uh, fundamental Islam and jihadist Islam, and talking about how the religion truly needs reform. She's written a couple of books about it. And as you can imagine, it's a very dangerous space to be in as as a, a woman coming out against Islam, who was formerly part of the religion. But now this article today is not about Islam. It's about critical race theory. Here's the title. Critical race theory's new disguise, a rebranded campaign for equity is just as divisive by Ayan Hirsi Ali. So let's start reading this and then let's give some commentary and get into it. Uh, the big boogeyman on, on the right, and I won't even... I don't even want to call it a big boogeyman because that sounds like a, a propagandized term. What what we're talking about a lot on the right is CRT and the infiltration of this theory. Now, she starts the article by saying, does critical race theory CRT really exist? Not according to Ra- Ra- Ralph sorry, Northam, of uh, the governor of Virginia. CRT, he recently told the New York Times, is a dog whistle that the Republicans are using to frighten people. What I'm interested in is equity. Now, we've gone through, we've gone down this rabbit hole for so long with critical race theory, and it's seemingly a rabbit hole that never ends. Well, that's not critical race theory. That's not what I said. And that's not what we're, that's not what we're pushing. We're pushing diversity and, and equity and inclusion. DEI. So let's get into not CRT, but DEI. So now when you see all these different curriculums coming out of schools, you'll see the words diversity, equity, and inclusion with the abbreviation DEI. This is seemingly just a a repainting of critical race theory. 
And here's what Ion says. Part of its purpose appears to be to sow confusion among opponents of CRT. It has certainly riled the Conservative Heritage Foundation in its recent guide on how to identify critical race theory, it warns of a new tactic deployed by the movement's defenders. They now deny that the curricula and training programs in question form part of CRT, insisting that the diversity, equity, and inclusion programs of trainers such as Ibram X. Kendi and Robin D'Angelo are distinct from the academic work of professors such as Derek Bell, Kimberly Crenshaw, and CRT architects. So again, it's just a mission to run away from your agenda and try to repaint it as something else so that people can't catch the little white rabbit that keeps running around the track. Yeah, and what, what Ayan is doing with this article is basically calling out the fact that anytime you hear the words diversity, equity, inclusion, mm-hmm. and that's you hear that in trainings at your corporate workplace, you hear it in schools, um, that is that is basically the, effectively the same thing as critical race theory. Yes. Which, and we've spent a lot of time dissecting what that means. We have a great video by James Lindsay on what critical race theory is. Mm-hmm. Um, but essentially, it's, it's taking the, it's saying the idea of equality, like the ideas of the, um, on which America was founded, the ideas of Martin Luther King are insufficient, and we need to go for equity. We need to go for equality of outcome, not equality of opportunity. And in order to achieve equity, you cannot achieve it without actively discriminating against whoever happens to be successful right now. Yep. And and so it's an effort to uh, level the playing field, you have to discriminate. And that's what mm-hmm. they're doing with this equity stuff. And it, it comes from an underlying Marxist worldview and that uh, is postmodern neo-Marxist that is underlying the critical race theory. And what why that's so dangerous is because they're seeking to indoctrinate our younger generations mm-hmm. with this ideology and give th- this is their framework for how they think about the world, how they think about race, how young black kids think about themselves as victims, how which is a Mar- Marxist framework, victims and oppressor, then white kids are learned that they're oppressors. And um, they're indoctrinating entire generation to think in these terms instead of the terms of the values on which America was founded. And that is what's so dangerous about this. Yeah, let's break down the term equity because I think it can be confusing. It was confusing for me when I was first introduced to it, although I was introduced to it when working for the left. So there's a big difference between equality and equity. Now, equity, let's just give an example here. Say you have a man who's six foot tall and you have a man who's three foot tall. The man who's three foot tall feels really bad about not being six foot tall because he can't see over a wall. And instead of you know giving the, the three foot tall man a step ladder and allowing him to see through the wall, what they do actually is cut off the six foot man at three feet and make him three feet and then they go okay well look now you're now you're the same height that's equity and when it comes to students programs what they'll do is they'll get into schools where maybe white kids are performing a little bit better than black kids or hispanic kids or indian kids or whatever doesn't matter and and instead of saying you know what let's let's put in resources and things to make sure that the black kids are doing better uh what they're going to do is actually hold back those programs from the white kids so that everybody's just equally poor in education everybody's just doing the same just like under socialism you're not you're not all getting richer everybody's just getting equally poorer. And that's exactly how equity is going to function. Now, Ion goes on to write, certainly regardless of which of these trendy three-letter terms you prefer to describe the latest iteration of America's obsession with race, the goal in each case is the same, to shift away from meritocracy in favor of an equality of outcome system. Which is not right. We don't need to shift away from meritocracy in America. (laughs) We need to shift further towards meritocracy in America. And certainly equality of outcome is inachievable without extreme, extreme big government and government regulation. And I don't know why that doesn't seem to click for people. 
Yeah. If I want, like, which one is, is a way to hold people back, um, to, to, to tell people that you can do anything you want to do. Um, if you take responsibility for yourself, if you don't make excuses, if you pull yourself up by your bootstraps, if you work hard, etc. Or is it that the system is completely rigged against you because of the color of your skin and there's it's, you have, there's inescapable, invisible forces that are holding you back? Which one <laughs> is going to create better individuals in a better society that's going? And look, there are injustices in the world, life, in the, you know, regardless of your skin color, there are Pro, there is an uphill battle in a lot for a lot of people that mm-hmm. not everyone's dealt the same the same hand but the what it, the question at the end of the day is like how do you improve your own life how do you improve your family how do you improve uh, your community and your country and what is the best chart to do that and, and regardless of the hand you're dealt the, the taking responsibility and not making excuses and building a better world and and doing everything you can to be productive and making much of yourself is the answer so right. But this whole system of thinking is what disincentivizes people from taking responsibility for themselves and teaches them to just blame other and become embittered at the world, embittered at the country, embittered at people of other races. Mm -hmm. And it it breeds division. I would love to see one example of uh, a a company or school that has gone all in with diversity, equity, inclusion, critical race theory type of training where people are more understanding of one another and are more – that are happy and successful and not bitter and and you know I would love to see it but I that is not what we're saying. like look at look at society today look at the mm-hmm. type of conversations that dominate the airwaves it is we're as as polarized and as angry and that this ideology is making people angry victims and hateful of America hateful of our history hateful of our founders and uh, it's not productive. Yeah, and we're about to get into a segment where we go over a video that was shocking even for me to see. And we have a special guest to go over that with us. Uh, but right before we get into that, I just want to go into one more part of this article that Ayan Hirsi Ali focuses on, and it's affirmative action. And she talks about how affirmative action uh, policies have been obviously set in place here in America and what the result of that has been. So let's look at this paragraph before we move on. This shift is due to the clear failure of affirmative action policies. First introduced more than 50 years ago, they were intended to create equal opportunities for the black community said to be held back by the legacy of slavery and Jim Crow laws. Suffice it to say that they failed. Today, only 20... 20- 6% of black Americans have a bachelor's degree, 10% lower than the national average. More than half of black households earn less than $50,000 annually, and the labor force participation rate for black men is 3.3% lower than for white men. It has actually shrunk by 11.6% since the early 1970s. Only four CEOs from Fortune 500 com- companies are black. So what a wondrous what a wondrous thing that affirmative action did for America. And it's so great to rob people of the agency of knowing that they did something based on their merit and tell them that they did it based on their race. I met a guy the other day. I tweeted out, it's, it's been a hobby of mine to try to red pill men at bars. And a guy comes up to me at the bar and he's talking to me and he goes, well, well, I'm a lawyer from Yale. And he's talking to me about how how our, our legal system and the criminal justice system oppresses black people so much. And he starts, we get into a discussion about affirmative action, how he thinks it's so great. And then I go, OK, well, why did you get into Yale? Did you get into Yale because you're black or did you get into Yale based on your merit? And he said, I don't know. And he said, actually, that on the campus at Yale, he got a lot of flack for being there as a black student because a lot of people questioned whether or not he got into Yale based on his merit or based on his race. So look what you've done with affirmative action policies. You have robbed black people of of the ability to know that they've done something based on their merit. You've set them back even further than you intended to. Blows my mind. Based. I love Amelie being able to just go off on affirmative action. (laughs) 
It's a hobby. It's a hobby it's of a mine. Reincarnation of Tom Soul. <laughs> That's your a big skills. <laughs> Thank you. Um, here's our special guest, Ami Horowitz. Hi. Yeah, thank you for being on. Oh, it's a pleasure. We're going to get into your video. And this one shocked me. And I do watch your videos. And normally they're not as shocking as this one here. Now, Ami, you went out to the University of California, Berkeley, and you started asking people whether or not they'd be interested in donating to the Taliban. Sure, why not? Uh huh. Right? I mean, people are generous, right? The yeah. Left is, they're virtuous, they're generous. Why not? Why not give to the Taliban? Yeah. What, what birthed this idea for you? Much scotch. <laughs> okay. <laughs> it's funny. Whenever I, I'm sitting there and I'm trying to figure out, okay, what's the next topic? What's the next video? Oftentimes I'll think to myself, I come up with a concept, I go, there's no way this is going to work. Mm-hmm. It's pointless to do it, right? Like, I couldn't go to Yale and have people sign a petition to repeal the First Amendment. Like, that doesn't right. work. Yeah, right. Their capacity to surprise me never ends. Mm-hmm. So this one, I thought, okay, again, raising money for the Taliban, specifically to kill Americans. Right. I'm not sure it's going to fly, or I'll get arrested, or, you know what? If I got beat up, I'd be happy. Mm-hmm. I'd be thrilled if somebody right. attacked me. Right, right, Unfortunately, they... They, they ginned up the cash for oh. killing Americans. Well, let's get into it and watch exactly what people had to say to this. It, it, again, it amazes me. Here we go. We're raising money for the Taliban. Raising money for the Taliban here. Get your Taliban here. I'm Ami Horowitz and I'm here at the University of California at Berkeley. There is no way I could raise money for the Taliban, right? I'm trying to raise money for the Taliban. We're trying to raise money for the Taliban. Tax deductible? I mean, if you were my in Afghanistan, so that's probably less helpful to you guys. We're Taliban 2.0. Um, we're kinder, gentler. I mean, not really, but okay. You know, it's our, it's the way, it's the way we roll. We're trying to raise money for the Taliban. We want to be able to train our fighters to fight back its American interests. There's a lot of weapons that were left there. We need money to train them how to use it against American forces, uh, train them how to use weapons again, all the weapons that the U.S. left. We want to train our, our fighters to strike back against American interests around the world and in the homeland. Before America got there, we used it as a base to strike against America. We want to do that again. Oh, interesting. I we like, gotta fight okay. back. Pause this for a second. I thought maybe you were just gonna say, do you wanna donate money to the Taliban? And maybe these students were not educated enough to know what that truly meant, and they were just gonna say, oh, well, yeah, sure. No, you described exactly. It's not fun, unless you're very explicit about the use of funds. Oh, no. Did you, okay, so did you find that, was anybody sort of going against you on this at all? Did anybody fight back? No, so one out of of all the people I stopped, Mm -hmm. one person looked at me and said, I don't wanna give money to the Taliban. They walked away. Outside of that, there was zero pushback. Zero pushback. And at a certain point, um, so when I hire crew, uh-huh. so I, I, ha- I hire a local crew, and nine times out of 10, the people I hire are liberal, okay. if not leftist. Right. And so I, I can't use my name, otherwise they won't work with me. Mm-hmm. And so this guy was typical of that. And um, we started filming, and about, I don't know, a third of the way through, he sends me a text. He goes, can you stop for a second? Can we move? Over, it's all hidden. It's all hidden camera stuff. And can I, can I talk to you? I go, yeah, sure. What's up? So I walk up to him. I said, What's going down? He goes, uh, I don't understand what's happening. I go, What do you mean? He goes, I mean, I'm watching this, but they can't understand what you're saying. I go, mm-hmm. How more explicit can I be? He goes, Right. I don't. I don't think you can. But it just doesn't make any sense. He couldn't. He couldn't fathom what he was seeing in real yeah. time because it is insane. It is it absolutely is. insane. It because it what it look. All these videos are they're cute and they're funny and they're shocking, but they 
at the end of the day, they, they're exposing something, a raw nerve that's important to point out, which right. is, at the end of the day, what does the left hate? They hate this country. Mm-hmm. They hate it to its bone. And therefore, they're willing to go as far as it takes, including killing Americans and creating a new 9-11 to teach this country a lesson. That's how far they'll go. Yeah, I mean, how are you doing mentally now that you see this horrible, <laughs> this horrible stuff being played out right in front of your eyes? I mean, at this point, I'm numb to this particular video okay. because I've seen it so many times <laughs> editing. But when I'm done shooting, uh-huh. it requires more copious amounts of scotch. Okay, <laughs> fair enough. Well, you guys get some scotch on deck. We're going to keep watching, and it does get worse. I promise you that. I know. You know, and America's destroying the world, and we want to we want to secure it for a strike against against the against the American homeland. So we want to be able to create a bulwark against America in Afghanistan to, to fund and help its enemies around the world strike back against American interests, both abroad and in the homeland. Okay, that sounds great. I don't know if you know about much about American imperialism. Oh, yes, yeah. So you know how, how damaging the U.S. is. Definitely. And, uh, I appreciate what, what you're doing here. Create a safe haven for America's enemies as a safe haven for people who want to strike against American interests around the world. We want to strike the U.S., yep. both abroad and the homeland, to teach them a lesson. Life means nothing to them. Yeah. And America needs to be brought to heal. Very and true. What you're talking about is really important, and I agree with you fully. And it's time to, to make them feel the pain. You know what I'm saying? I would work for you. That is really generous. Uh, they need to finally pay the... <laughs> I would work for you. <laughs> Every time I see that, I can't stop laughing. I would work for you it's i'm trying i don't know whether to laugh or cry yeah it makes you laugh but i in my heart scotch yeah that is that is do you understand why i self-medicate do you understand why that's important to me completely i think you've seen uh the deepest depths of human insanity uh, through these videos i want to believe that it's just like this psychological thing where you've got a camera on and someone's just kind of like leading you on and you're just going along with it because you don't know what's going on but Mm -hmm. they're literally like processing what you're saying and saying i would work for you right or i will give you money to support this cause like that this isn't and i you have to think like are they hearing this type of stuff from their professor i mean this is uc berkeley so Mm -hmm. if you're gonna hear no no that's that's exactly where it comes from because it all it's it's garbage in garbage out yeah Mm -hmm. the professors have been i mean since i've been in school when you were in school i professors have been preaching their hatred the vitriol against america for general really for generations This is the net result because the, the way they're processing is, well, if America is evil, then why not go to the next level and fight against evil? I mean, we had to, we're virtuous people. Mm-hmm. We have to fight against the evil and I'm presenting them with the opportunity. So they're, they're taking it. That's really what it comes down to. Do you think any of this has a goes along with the disconnect of their age and being sort of removed from from 9-11 and the Taliban in some way? No. Or do you think they're no. just fully cognizant? No, Full, fully cognizant. I mean, because I've no. It, yeah. Nothing. Nothing to do with nine eleven. Oh um, my gosh. It, it, this is now. I think that it is. Youth plays a part in it in the sense that you know when you're young you're full of piss and vinegar. Mm-hmm. You want to take action, and this is I'm giving the opportunity to take action. But it's not connect, no no connection nine eleven. If they lived through nine eleven, they would have been cheering it. Gosh. If okay. not publicly, certainly privately. I'm just trying you to know, find some loophole to where this is not yeah. as horrible as it sounds. <laughs> the one criticism I get. Uh huh. People say to me, well, you're leading them down a path. That's mm. true. But so what? I, they're not, I'm not making them drink the water. Right. They're, they're just lapping it up. Yeah. But of course, yeah, I'm, take, I'm, I'm making them feel comfortable with me, making them believe who I am, who I am. Just as the Taliban to would. Draw, to draw, because <laughs> that's it, you have to draw it out of them. Right. right? And that's the secret of, of what we do. You have to be able to make them feel comfortable, draw it out, and so what? There's nothing you can say. There's no path you could lead me down to mm-hmm. say something I don't believe in. Right. At the end of the day, right? Right. right. 
Yeah, well, now with young people, it's very so easy to screw do that. off. <laughs> Kick rocks, kid. Okay, let's finish this up. Oh goodness. The price, and we want we want to exact that toll. Basically, we want to create a safe space for enemies of the United States. You know what I'm saying? 9/11 was a lesson, but this is an easy, a, they didn't learn their lesson from 9/11. We want to do that again, like we did it in 2001. Five dollars. Five? Okay, that would be great. Five? Yeah. Five is that would if you could do that, it'd be great. Sure, I'll do this. Yeah, five. Like 10? I don't know, maybe $10? $10? $10? Maybe like $15. $50? $50? Bucks. $50? Bucks? Oh, dude. Come over here, buddy. Come over here, my brother. Do you know how many people we can train? We can, how, many, how, many, how many Taliban fighters we can train on that? Donation-wise? Yeah, if you could. You know? $50, you know, just don't that have is, a student. Right? That, is, <laughs> that is really generous. That's a lot of beer money. No, I mean, I'm not worried about that. It's more of just, you know, what I can give, obviously. Uh, you're, dude, you're a prince. <laughs> you're, you're a prince, man. Thank you. Bye. Bless you, man. Take care, buddy. Make the Taliban great again. Thanks, guys. I appreciate it. You too. I'm back. Raising money for the Taliban is no bueno. Raising money for me is very bueno. So if you want to see more of these videos, feel free to go to AmiHorowitz.com and donate. So what's oh. interesting is, I don't know. Actually, I don't know. I don't know. I, don't, I, don't, I, don't, I, I watched it again. I don't, I don't know what to make of it. I, the, word, the words escape me. I'm, I make my living on, on words. Sure, and sure. And the words escape me sometimes. It happens to me sometimes, and I think this video is one of those times. I honestly don't have commentary other than this is disgraceful, and I just can't fathom. I mean. How I was I not arrested? I know. Like, how are these not going to go to the, the campus police and saying, a man is trying to raise money for a terrorist organization right. to kill Americans. Like I said, if somebody slugged me in the face, I would have been happy. Right. At least somebody right. has some kind of common sense. I was expecting security called, or, or you got beat up, or somebody called the police, or just something. A, a campus administrator, even. Maybe even call a professor. Like, three years ago, I did a video, also with PragerU, and um, I went to Berkeley... Mm -hmm. I, I like to go back there every once in a while. Mm -hmm. And I was waving the uh, the ISIS flag. I was saying, come fight for ISIS. Kill for ISIS. Let's kill Americans together. And people were like, there's no action. It wasn't asking for money, but people were like, yeah, I love it. Or they're ignoring me. Um, professor, like, keep doing what you're doing. And then I was like, okay, so, so maybe, you know, maybe they're, they're just used to kooks. So it's mm -hmm. not a big deal. So they're just ignoring me. Like, oh, another crazy guy waving a flag. Mm -hmm. you know, who cares? Maybe that's it. So the next day I went with an American flag. Within seconds, it was like, can we curse? Uh, <laughs> within you. reason, that's fine. <laughs> you. <laughs> you piece of crap. I mean, right. like, the vitriol was flying within seconds. And once that American flag came out, the ISIS flag, no problem. <sighs> but again, it, it makes actually it makes some sense when you understand what the motivation is. Mm -hmm. The motivation is, okay, people ask me all the time, why do the left, right, um, why do they align with Islamic radicals? How does that make any sense, right? Because if you look at it from the outside, the left believes in human rights and human dignity and women's rights and gay rights and sure. so forth and so on. And, and Islamic radicalism doesn't believe that at all. So how, how are they allies? And they are allies, right? Make yes. no mistake about it. The, the hard left and Islamic radicals are allies. Mm -hmm. And the reason is actually pretty easy, pretty simple, which is what, what does the left really want? It's not really necessarily about women's rights or gay rights. It's about complete and total equity. Right, or we used to call it equality, now it's equity. Yeah, now it's equity. And because there's an imbalance mm -hmm. between Islamic, the Islamic world and the Western world, that balance has to be brought back. Mm 
Mm. So they then, therefore, they have to they have to ally ally with. It comes about to intersectionality, right? Why they they ally because they're all victims. Yes, and therefore victims are allies together, and we're all going to work together against the oppressor, the West, capitalism, the free market, the Jews. That's why they make they're, they make allies together. And it's interesting because we, uh, people, at least on our side, try to point out this blatant hypocrisy over and over. I mean, the left aligns themselves, yeah, with with radical Islam, with with Muslims, and then they say, well, what about the anti-gay sentiments? What about the anti-women sentiments? And they go, mm-hmm. well, that's their culture. Right. So, uh, so I align myself with that. Even more, I've done a lot of the mm-hmm. gay stuff with that community. They, they mm-hmm. will make excuses like, no, no, what happened was the these the occupation has warped their mind. Mm. And that's why they're, they're, you're you're forcing them into that. It's incredible. Gosh. Okay. So, do you let these people in on the fact that this is a video for you know AmiHorowitz.com after you talk to them? You just let them go about their day. Logistically, uh-huh. it's difficult because yes. once you do that once, right, you're done up. for. They're gonna just say, "Hey, don't talk to this guy." You right. Talk, right. You, you mm-hmm. can, once in a while, I'll do it. And the videos are when I when I, when I am able to do it, the videos come out great. Uh huh. Really like you see their mind being blown. Gosh. But it, <sighs> you can't do it very often because. The, the jig will be up. So but how much money did you raise for the Taliban on several, Berkeley? Several hundred dollars in two hours. It's amazing. I'm trying to think of like any cost that I would pony up $50 for. It's <laughs> a lot of money. Right. For a I mean, if someone's stopping me, me like yes. I just already have an aversion to like being solicited while I'm walking in a public place. So that already is kind of just like a turnoff. And so if you're going to Go overcome that and have me donate fifty dollars right in, there on, on the on spot. It. Then you're in big time. Yes, I mean I don't know unless they're making Hassan Piker type money and just have it <laughs> right. ready to you know. But there dish you know out. they're not. That's how much they hate America. Who's Hassan Piker? Ah, oh, uh, he's a socialist Twitch streamer that makes two hundred thousand dollars a month. So he goes it. on he goes online every day Video to talk games? to tens of thousands of people on Twitch, like talk fifty thousand people, about how terrible capitalism is, and uh, he. There was a Twitch leak yesterday that that revealed that he makes two hundred and ten thousand dollars a month, Holy and has a three million dollar yeah. mansion in West Dude, Hollywood. Leftism pays. It man. really does. It really does. What did you do? Weren't you on the left? I was on You're the a left. Fool. I, <laughs> I know. Put. I should have stayed. I should have <laughs> stuck to my guns. She's still waiting for that oil billionaire money. Yeah, I, guess, I know. You know. Oh gosh, Ferris Wilkes, where are you? <laughs> <laughs> I was wondering, where's my white privilege money? <laughs> Where's that? I'm 50% white. Where's my 50% white privilege money? I don't know. You know? know. One one side of you is victimizing the other side. (laughs) Ami, do you have hope? Because you see the worst of it. I I, have to ask you this. I do. So I've often said I'm a short-term pessimist and a long-term optimist. Yep. Okay. I have have an unending reservoir of confidence in the American people. Mm -hmm. Having said that, that has eroded somewhat in the last three or four years. Okay. Um, right. Look, it, on the one side, you can say that on the positive side, mm-hmm. you can say, okay, you saw, you saw what happened with Black Lives Matter. So initially, Black Lives Matter had a 90 cent approval, and then it fell under 50% once Black Lives Matter was exposed for what they really are. So that's that's hope, right? I mean, right. in the black community, it's, it was 60%. So they went down from almost 100%. Mm-hmm. So, no, I think that ultimately that when 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 they're when we and this is why prager you is so important is when you actually are able to expose them to reality to facts they will believe it they will process it and they'll say oh that's not good mm-hmm. and that's the goal of what you and i do what we all do right is to try to and the challenge to get in front of those people right i mean look 
preaching the choir is important. Like Dennis says, get a sing along of the same hymn book. Sure, sure. But our, what's the game plan? The game plan is trying to get this in front of people who we can act, whose minds we could change. Right. And, that's, and the truth, my, I have found in the years I've been doing this, you absolutely change minds when you get people in front of you. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that you you and Will both are the, like the leaders of the man on the street movement for trying to change minds right then and there. And I can't imagine uh, the toll that it takes on you mentally. <laughs> yeah, and this, but the strategy. Of- I used to be six too, <laughs> <laughs> and handsome. And I don't want. Is that like it just all changed? Age six, <laughs> comma T O O, or six two. <laughs> <laughs> but I was going to say the strategy of asking people questions and making them think and like learning how to change minds by engaging people's, you know, uh, engaging their critical thinking as opposed to just um, being combative and make, you know, making outrage or spreading outrages is, is uh, that's what Will's book is about. And really, that's what we try to do at PragerU is like w- we talk about arguments and we, we started the show today with this hit piece against against Will and against PragerU that was basically just talking about oh, they take money from so-and-so or they do this. And they didn't address any argument we've ever made. They didn't cite anything specific. And um, it's a shame today that when it's so difficult to get to a place where we're just talking about ideas themselves and on their own merits or looking at evidence or, you know, like we see all these COVID restrictions and stuff like that. It's it's not about evidence. It's about compliance. It's about, Mm -hmm. you know, making sure that you are one of the people who is in line with the mainstream narrative and and paying lip service to it or wearing the badge or whatever it may be. And uh, the the whole rational discourse thing, I think that's the part. Sometimes seeing a mind change on videos like yours or like Will's um, gives, gives me hope, but my biggest fear is like that the mechanisms themselves that we have to negotiate our differences break down mm-hmm. and then how do we rebuild those will will wrote a book i'm still trying to wrap my mind around <laughs> we let it attack will when he's not here is that fair is that unfair? oh it's it's totally fair all's fair in love and war yeah, so yes I mean, you can I, I i was pretty sure he can read <laughs> I wasn't so sure he could write a book, but he, but Hey, you know what? He, he did it. I just say it's a good thing. He's got a computer because his handwriting is very difficult. Oh my gosh. (laughs) It is like a five-year-old picking up a pencil for the first time. Okay. The other thing about Will is that, this is just not fair. He's not here. We're just like, you know, pounding on him. Yeah. I mean, you know, he only eats one meal, like one food, right? Oh wait. Hamburgers. It's all he eats. (laughs) Will does love a good hamburger. I mean, I, 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 I kid you not. We've taken on every trip we've taken together. Uh-huh. Lunch and dinner, he orders hamburgers. It's like, yeah. what are you like? Five years old? <laughs> what is that? I like hamburgers. Yeah, no kidding. I'm gonna clip this segment and send it to Will while he's in Colorado <laughs> right now, just before his book event, and hopefully he feels a little bit better about where he stands in the world. <laughs> I don't know. I think he's gonna be pretty upset. No. <laughs> I no, leave for one. Two we, weeks, all three weeks. we all love Will. We all. We all love Will. We do, we do. We love and miss Will. But Ami, thank you so much for, for being on and going over your pleasure. video. Uh, it's going to be on PragerU next week, I think. Yes, it will. So guys, so guys be on the lookout. today. Yes, That's you right. guys got a special guest to talk about his video and a sneak preview of said video. So be sure to support it when it does come out and check out our Ami Horowitz at AmiHorowitz.com. It was a pleasure, guys. Thank you so much. Yes, of course. Thanks for yeah. being here. Now, on to Throwback Thursday. I've got a video that we're going to play for you guys. Uh, It's based on a 1958 foreign exchange forum with students of sort of a United Nations thing that they used to do back in the 1950s. They brought students into the United States to study from all over, all different countries uh, in the world, and they held these forums. And the subject of this forum in particular is prejudice. Now, if you go online, there are tens of videos of these different forums, 
uh, by the YouTube channel Archive MC. Now I found one and it's just interesting. I'll, I'll pull up if you wanna show the, the actual video for a second. These are the kids sitting here. We have one from the Thailand, Thailand Philippines, uh, Malaya, and Iceland. These kids are all the ages of 15 to 17 having a discussion about prejudice. And I mean an honest discussion about prejudice. And I'll go ahead and preface this with initially they asked the girl from the Philippines what her prejudices were. And she said in the Philippines, there is a deep prejudice for the Sikhs that they learn from a very, very young age. Now let's get into this and watch what they have to say. Again, these are, these are high schoolers, 15 to 17 years old, talking about prejudice. About the Sikhs. I think it is very true. The, the only people I have ever hated are the Turks. Uh, I, I used to pray from my early childhood, God save me from the Turks. <laughs> and uh, when I was disobedient, my mother used to tell me that the Turks would come and take me. And mm -hmm. as I was often disobedient, I lived in constant hysterical fear of the Turks. And I started hating this, this atrocious <laughs> savages. And yet I had never seen a Turk before I met Under. <laughs> I think this started uh, hundreds of years ago in the early days of the Ottoman Empire. Uh, then pirates pirate from Turkey or from Algeria used to sail to the northern countries and plunder the churches and steal healthy people from for slaves. And uh, since then, the word Turk has the meaning of all of something which is aggressive and, and warlike. You know, since we've got a Turk right here in the studio, I think we probably ought to produce him. And you can't produce a Turk in 1958 without a Greek. So I'm wondering, Patsy, <laughs> would you and Swan cede your places to Ondergüller from yeah. Turkey? I want to go ahead and pause really quickly. Look at how honest this discussion is so far. And these are people who are perfectly friendly talking about a subject matter that is very uncomfortable to talk about. And that is prejudice against people based on their nationality and their ethnicity. And them talking about this again these are young people 15 to 17 years old can you imagine people 15 to 17 having this discussion today no and you know we talk about do you have hope i mean that that's pretty pretty brutal it's but, telling but that word honest is you know we talk a lot about how much progress we've made since the 50s and 60s but mm -hmm. when you look at the way that these people are just able to engage each other and approach a conversation in good faith and start to try to just honestly process their differences and the fact that like hey you know i'm willing to come to the table here and acknowledge that where i come from we see things a certain way but i want to i'm curious about and i'm willing to sit down and listen to you and try to process these differences and this is like an honest exchange of ideas but it today is. this is with peace political correct culture and this this with the new way of doing things a modern way of doing things there's not an honest exchange of perspectives it's just about Oh, well, you're not supposed to say that. And you don't know right. why you're not supposed to say that. You don't know. You have never met another person who you've exchanged ideas or perspectives with that's made you to learn to respect their point of view or mm -hmm. negotiate those differences in any intelligent way. You just know that, oh, this is PC, so we can't go there. And I better police other people not to. And you don't want to, you know, and it's it's a much, it's a cheap version of actual quote unquote diversity. Yeah. And once we actually have these discussions, it's when the prejudices break down. He says that he had prejudice against Turks uh, from the, since he was a baby because of the different phrases that people had used. If he, if he didn't behave himself at home, his mother would say that, oh, the Turks are going to come for you. He even said in the presence of somebody who is from Turkey, that he, be, he viewed them as aggressive savages. And 
but they're having it in a respectful manner. He's being completely honest about his life experience in regard to other ethnicities and nationalities, but being honest and respectful about this conversation. And even so, he said, I've, I've never even met a Turk yet until I met Onder at this, at, this, uh, at this forum. And now I have a different perspective. So let's keep watching. This is very, very interesting. Again, this is a series that's on YouTube uh, by Archive MC. And where's Onder? Here comes Onder. He's the one who was playing the mandolin at the opening of the program. That, by the way, is the forum blues that Onder composed shortly after he got here, and it's become almost our theme song. Everybody knows it. From Greece is Angeliki Layu. Now, uh, go ahead, aggressive and warlike Turk. Did you uh, follow fully what Bjorn said about Turks? Yeah, I was listening to him, and, you know, we Turkish people would like very much for the other nations to see the difference between the Ottoman Empire and the modern Turkey today. Unfortunately, the people who don't know enough about the things that happened in the 20th century always mixed up their prejudices about the Ottoman Empire with their thoughts about modern Turkey. I just wonder if you do the same thing in Greece, Aiki. Well, I just wouldn't say that we do the same thing in the same way in Greece. But it's interesting that one ocean and one continent across from Iceland, we still have kind of the same feeling towards the Turkish people. And I would say that it's kind of more natural for us because we really have suffered much during the 400 years of uh, the Turkish occupation. And because we had to survive, our nationalism and our difference from the Turks, which had to, uh, came to be uh, that we were better than the Turks, <laughs> had to be stressed. And even today, if we see someone who doesn't eat in a very polite way, we usually say, are you a Turk? And it works. <laughs> and at school, when we study history, uh, we usually say that the Turks have destroyed a great civilization, our civilization. Look at like, okay, really think, I know everybody's all smiles and laughing, but really listen to what she is saying in the presence of somebody who is from Turkey. She's saying, whenever I meet somebody who's rude and impolite, I ask them, are you a Turk? And normally I'm absolutely right. She says, in school, we learned that the Turks ruined our great civilization. And she's saying that, and they're able to sit there respectfully and laugh about the fact that they've been taught these things in their countries. Can you imagine this discussion happening between somebody who's white and somebody who's black in America right now? No. Do you want to try it real quick? Yeah, right. <laughs> Taylor and I could do it. I don't think many other people could have this discussion. No, it is wild. It and again, blows the my fact mind. that they're like, this is, they're not only, are they, what are they, 14 to 16 or something? Yeah, 14 to, 14 to 18. 14 to 18. All of them. But this is their second language. Mm -hmm. Like, I, I mean, as someone who's lived overseas and had to go to school in another foreign language, like the having to formulate your thoughts and are in, in real time on, on camera, um, in a second language right. it, at that young age, is just mind boggling to me. It is. And not, so it's not only that they're like, they're just independent of the language thing, how advanced their reasoning is and just ability to articulate themselves. But the fact that it's just, it's amazing to me that they're that they're able to do this. Yeah, we're going a little bit over time on the stream today, but I want to get to an, a, a, an important point that this young Greek girl makes in this discussion. So let's keep watching. And what is interesting is that some people get the idea that really they didn't have any civilization, any great civilization of their own, and that, well, they're not very well educated, and generally that no Turk can be any good. Also, another strong prejudice in my country is that uh, the assurance that some people have that the Greek people, now and forever, is one of the most important and intelligent peoples on Earth. <laughs> it sounds pretty interesting, yes, you know. <laughs> um, <coughs> 
Uh, I'm glad that the word Turk has a better meaning in here in the United States than it seems to have in Greece and Iceland. Am I not right that the members of the Young Turk group in Congress are glad and proud to be called Turks? Yes. Uh, anyway, um, we got bigger problems with bigger nations, so we don't have the same kind of prejudice in our country against Greece. Uh, you know, when I was a little boy, I used to play Russians and Turks just the same way American kids play cowboys and Indians. <laughs> this shows that our biggest, biggest problem is with the people who are the biggest problem of the whole free world today. Um, you are also telling that um, we, we spoiled your civilization in Greece by occupying your mm -hmm. country for more than 400 years. But I would like to point out that if the Ottoman Empire didn't give you the freedom of religion and the freedom of keeping your civilization, uh, I don't think you would be able to talk this, this, that way today just because there wouldn't be any nation called Greece anymore, Greek nation anymore. Well, honestly, I don't think this is a very effective argument. First of all, I think that, of course, in different countries we study history in a different way and we stress different points. But still, I think that both of us would admit that maybe in the beginning, uh, they did give a certain amount of religious freedom to the Greeks. Maybe just because they wanted, them to, they wanted to stress the Orthodox religion and keep them away from uniting in some way with the Catholics, which pr would produce a different situation for Turkey. But then I would say that later on, there were some really bad conditions for the Greeks. And they didn't have the opportunity to study their own language. They had to study it secretly under uh, bad conditions. And well, I wouldn't say it was much of a tolerant spirit, but still, um, I don't think that a nation with the long tradition that the Greeks had, with a strong national conscience, with the, the language, with their r religion, and, uh, which was very different from the Turkish. And by the way, I think that you would admit that the Turkish civilization wasn't as, Greek, as great as the Greek at that time. I don't speak about today, I speak about that time. Uh, well, I think it would sur survive if even after uh, under strong oppression, just because oppression can't limit the mind of people uh, who have such a, a long tradition and who have to fight continuously as the Greeks had to fight. And I would say that after strong oppression, the nationalistic spirit just blossoms like the Greek, the Jewish, or anything else in the world. But tell me, you peaceful people, <laughs> <laughs> what about your feelings about the Cyprus dispute? Well, I would like to listen to the Greek point of view first. The Greek or mine? Well, uh, I thought that uh, your point of view was the same with the Greek point of view when I first, you, first met you in the beginning of the forum. Is there any difference now? Well, there is difference in all of my opinions and ideas oh. uh, in, in six weeks. Really, anyway. Ike? Yes, certainly. And I think this is one of the most important things that uh, this forum has done to us, to most of us. Well, go on. Forgive me for interrupting. <laughs> Uh, well, I would say that our strongest ar argument, the strongest argument of the people of Cyprus is that every human being has the right to, um, to the, self the right of self-determination. And uh, I would say that, of course, the situation now in Cyprus is very difficult because of the uh, strong conflict between the Greeks and the Turks. But uh, as some British people admit, and as we point out in Greece, I don't know what you say in Turkey, uh, this problem really didn't exist uh, some years ago, but it began to exist 
just because the British aroused it so that they could divide and rule. That's where I want to stop right there. I mean, what an amazing discussion. Yeah, go guys, go check these out. These are 1958 foreign exchange students talking, um, foreign exchange high school students talking about their definitions of prejudice, how they see it in their country, how they see it while being in America. And she makes so many important points. And I can't imagine ever thinking this at the age of 16 or 17, talking about how under strong oppression, nationalism blossoms and how you get this distinct love for tradition and country and how oppression only makes that stronger and then she talks about the divide that they feel between greeks and turks and how if you really go from the micro level of looking at the divide to the macro you'll see that there's somebody else controlling that and she she blames the british for that and says that the british created this divide between greeks and turks as an as a means of dividing up the people so that they could conquer the land. And is that not what we're seeing right now in America? This massive divide between all of us based on race, gender, sexuality, all that fun stuff, so that these corporations and elites can divide and conquer, divide and rule. It's uh, same old pattern, right. same old thing. Right, present yeah. in the 1950s, present now. What do you think has changed? Um, like this type of conversation, I can't imagine it happening ever, even among international students. But um, let's say American students talking to each other today. What do you think has changed um, that has made it so that that can't happen? Uh, well, I think it's it's a multitude of things. I think our attention spans are far too small to even get into a discussion like this. We've seen that with um, with social media, and I think <clears throat> even it's a biological problem. That <clears throat> sorry, look at our look at. Sounds like you got a biological problem. I know it sounds like I do have a biological problem. <laughs> I think even so, it's a biological problem. I mean, look at look at how different men and women are today. Look at simply like testosterone levels in men are so much lower, lower than they've been in decades, decades, decades. I mean, uh, the 1950s we saw some of the highest rates of testosterone in men, and uh, obviously women's hormones are all imbalanced and everything, which does affect your brain. Which we went over in uh, a different study that we did yesterday on the show around transgenderism and all that. But I think there are natural biological factors that have changed since the 1950s in humans. And I think attention spans have just changed and our education system has shifted in a way that it's no longer educating us. I can't imagine a, a 15 year old knowing anything about the the conflict between Greece and Turkey and Cyprus and being able to mix that in with what's happening in Thailand and in the Philippines. They have no sense of the world. Yeah, they didn't have TikTok back then. So right. it actually uh, made sense that you would you know, I don't know, do your homework and learn about history. And you don't, you don't have the internet and Netflix and video games and all these mm -hmm. other distractions that we have now. And, and so you, and, and what do you do when you're, when you don't have, you know, I mean, I'm sure they had TVs around back then, but yeah. even so you had like one or two channels and it wasn't like this thing that occupied all your time. So you, I'm sure they did a lot of reading and yes. like, you, you don't have such, like you said, such short attention span. So it teaches you to like sit with ideas and sit with, concepts and sit with stories from history and actually mm -hmm. process those and internalize those and that's that's the base of knowledge and understanding that you've you've built that you can speak from like they're speaking from things that they've learned and it's not just you know they weren't like repeating talking points that they heard in school these are like actual things that they've internalized and yeah. actually they have they're sophisticated they have a sophisticated worldview even at a young age and um it's and they admit it's it's based on their country and where mm -hmm. they're from and they're they're um approaching life from where they're 
their singular worldview and, and their culture has certain biases against other cultures. And it's interesting to watch them negotiate those honestly. But I think another factor in this that um, is huge and, and probably hard to spot, but but I think it's probably the most important thing mm-hmm. is that, you know, pre it was in 19, the 1960s that postmodernism really became a thing and was and I think the that postmodernism has sort of replaced traditional um, liberalist like Enlightenment liberalism as the foundation of or that there's been a concerted effort to replace that. And, and postmodernism is deals with with the idea of truth itself yep. and, and reality. And there's infinite interpretations of reality. Mm-hmm. You hear this stuff about like, your truth and all this stuff. And these 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 students are able to share ideas and exchange thoughts because they are seated or they're both share a common interpretation of reality. And I was truth. just about and to say because that. The idea of postmodernism has come and robbed us of that common ground on which we're mm-hmm. standing. Now everything's relative, and no one knows what is true anymore. You can have blatant facts on social media that contradict um, what is being said by the government or what is yep. being said by, um, you know, social media, and like you can lie. You know, I keep saying this, but like I can spit on you and tell you it's raining and there's nothing you can do about yep. it because I have power over you. And, and that's, I forget who it was, but, um, oh, it was that John Piper clip we played a while ago, but he talked about how, um, when I can no longer appeal to objective truth as an arbiter to say, Hey, here's the evidence, here's objective truth. This refutes what you're saying. And mm-hmm. we both agree, right? This, we have to, we have to agree at objective truth. I can appeal to that. And then that defeats your argument. If I don't, well, that's your truth. I don't acknowledge it anymore. Now um, it's about who can have power over the other and I can exert my power to silence you and, yeah. and have control, control the conversation. That's what people are interested in now, not simply having exchange of honest ideas and yes truth. and that 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 really is the foundation of it this conversation would have never been able to occur if they disagreed on whether or not there was a relationship between greeks and turks and whether or not the turks took over greek civilization they can both function on that objective truth that yes the turks did control greek civilization for this amount of time and while they were doing that they did this and this and this now what is your interpretation was that right or was that wrong that's what they're arguing and we don't get that anymore no. <laughs> because now we're arguing whether or not turkey ever even took over Greece or whether or not they ever did this, this and that. And or if we should examine the Greek occupation or the Turkish occupation of Greece through a critical lens and right. what the racial implications and the right. systems that led to these things. And, you know, like it's all a bunch of BS and we never, Malarkey. We can, it's stolen our ability to have honest conversations about things. It hasn't. You have to think about where... I'm assuming a lot of them got their information from a very similar books. And, and when you go through these videos and watch, a lot of the students will be like, well, where did you get that information? Where did you get that information? And they'll cite, I got it from this book, or I got it from this newspaper, or it was reported on this day. We don't get to do that anymore. I get to go, well, I saw it on Will Witt's Twitter, or I saw AOC tweeted out yesterday. And it's not, <laughs> it's just not, we have not created yeah, we a great foundation. We have an infinite foundation. number of sources, yes. too. And so I can find, cherry pick things to that back up my view or live in a you know social media bubble that reinforces my ideas and you can live in one that reinforces yours and, yeah and, and none of it's accredited mm-hmm. none of it is published none of it has been checked out none of it is yeah it's, and that's why the like you know we used to have trust in our institutions like new york times or whatever that had credibility because they had journalistic standards of integrity and hey we're going to actually research facts and and care about the, the standards of our uh the quality of our work so that yeah. people can rely on it. When I cite a New York Times article, it means something mm-hmm. that, that it's reliable. And now they've lost their credibility because they've become ideologues and the activists right. who are willing to distort the truth if it benefits their ideology. Yep. And I mean, that 
that it makes it you know we talk about hopefulness it's like if we can't have a baseline of of truth like if truth does not matter then you don't have a lot of hope for your society so make truth matter again make truth matter again make truth great again guys go and watch these videos again by archive mc there there is a bunch of them i've been watching them i've been watching so many of them because they're just so interesting and it's so nice to see real true honest respectful discussion and civil discourse happening right in front of my eyes which is so rare these days that is the end of our show that was throwback thursday we are going to be back tomorrow for your friday show at 2 30 pst 5 30 eastern please like subscribe click the notification bell to be notified every single day when we go live 2 30 pst 5 30 Eastern. If you'd like to get a text telling you when we go live, text live 241776. That is L-I-V-E 241776. If you'd like to listen rather than watch, you can go to Google Play, Apple Podcasts, or Spotify and subscribe there. Follow us. Leave a five-star review so that we know you love the show and everybody else knows that you love the show. And go pursue truth and watch these videos of some foreign exchange students. You would learn a thing or two. I learned quite a few things just by watching just a couple of these. So thank you guys for watching. We will see you tomorrow. Peace.